Hi, it's uh, Andrew Pogson here with Art of the Score with a little disclaimer. We don't normally start an episode this way, Dan. It's true. But we thought that we we needed to on this one because we actually recorded these these next two episodes uh, in December of 2017, just before The Last Jedi came out. And Nick... We make some wild predictions. And we are here to apologize <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I think pretty much everything we predicted musically mm, and in yeah. the film, um, we were either wrong about or happened uh, in some other way. Yeah. So, I think it's, it's probably given that this is, you know, this, these episodes are airing well and truly after The Last Jedi has come out that, you know, listen, listen to our analysis and try <laughs> to remember what it was like before, uh, before December when the movie came out. Uh, but anyway, I think these, these next two episodes are a lot of fun. I think mm. you're going to really enjoy them. And uh, let's get on with the show. Welcome to Art of the Score, the podcast that explores, demystifies, and celebrates some of the greatest soundtracks of all time from the world of film, TV, and video games. I'm Andrew Pogson, and in each episode we'll be joined by Daniel Golding and Nicholas Buck as we check out a soundtrack we love, break down its main themes, explore what makes the score tick, and hopefully impart our love of the world of soundtracks. In episode 15, in celebration of Star Wars The Last Jedi, we explore the music from the movie that revitalized the franchise, Star Wars The Force Awakens, directed by J.J. Abrams and scored by the little-known composer John Williams. For this epic score, we're going to cover the music over two parts this time, this of course being part one of two. Now, J.J. Abrams had the monumental, almost impossible task of not only regaining the trust of hardcore Star Wars fans, but also introducing the franchise to a new generation of moviegoers after Disney purchased Lucasfilm a few years earlier. However, it could be argued that it was not just the return of the classic trilogy characters to the screen that set the fans' hearts aflutter, but that classic John Williams sound that manages in this film to be both modern and nostalgic all at the same time. And joining me in my little hut in Jakku Village is composer, arranger, orchestrator, conductor and legendary Rathdar Hunter with Kanja Club. It's Nicholas Buck. How are you doing, Nick? Hello out there. How are you doing? <laughs> um, it's so great to be back. I feel like it's very soon that we've, we're traveling through the Star Wars universe again, but... Of course, it is for good reason, because we have a new film coming out, The Last Jedi, and uh, I think what better way to, to prep and prime ourselves for it than by looking at The Force Awakens. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really pumped for the movie. I've, I've got my midnight screening ticket ready to go, and I could not be more excited. However, there's always three. We always come in threes, Nick. And fresh from his latest trip to the Outer Rim Territories, where he acquires strange relics from the republics of old, is writer, critic, university lecturer, and guy I only play, pay three portions to for his expertise in each episode, it's Dan Golding. <laughs> so, uh, who, who talks first? Do you, do you talk first or, or do I? <laughs> um, I yeah, I, I'm so looking forward to this, to this episode. Uh, I think 
it's a really great score and it's a great film as well. Yeah. Just, yeah. I think it will be very interesting to, to get through it. Hmm. I don't you think that this this film I mean I sort of mentioned it in that little intro there that this film really had the weight yep. of an insane amount of expectation. Mm. I mean I I think it was not even expectation, certainly expectation mm. from the studio. Mm. But a lot of people had written a lot of hardcore fans had written Star Wars off at this point saying yeah, yeah cool. You know of course they went and saw it, but I mm. think there was a lot of well this is going to have to be pretty special mm. to to really bring me back. And you know, I think I think JJ did it. And I, yep. I think you can make all sorts of comments about, you know, what you'd loved and, and what you, you didn't think was as, as successful with the, with the movie. But I cannot imagine anyone else really understanding what needed to happen to make that comeback in the way that he did. And he's now set that, you know, talking about Last Jedi coming up um, in a few weeks. Mm. He really set that foundation of... You know, now we can move on. Now we can move forward. Yeah. It's quite a monumental effort. No, absolutely. I mean, it's a huge reset task in a way. I Yeah, well, maybe, maybe I should just almost get the plug out of the way. I'm actually writing a book about these films, these new Star Please Wars Please feel films. free to plug, yeah. uh, Dan. <laughs> yeah. No, so it'll be out. Um, well, the full manuscript is due in a couple of months, but it should be out in 2019 because it is an academic book so right. they so take are you writing while. about the films that have yet to be released as well uh, no so it's it's called Star Wars After Lucas or at least that's the working title at the moment and it's with uh, University of Minnesota Press so an American university but it's basically about this junction point where uh, Lucasfilm is purchased by Disney yep. and Star Wars as a franchise and as a brand, I suppose, is revived uh, and resuscitated. So, it's very um, much sort of the transition period and looking forward. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's so, try, trying to figure out, you know, what, what it is that particularly The Force Awakens and Rogue One and also the animated series Rebels, I'm looking at those three, what they can sort of tell us about this new direction and, and sort of just looking at it as a kind of cultural phenomena. Uh, and a moment in film history, which is really exciting and interesting. And of course, if you're listening to this in 2019, mm. good news is the internet's yeah. still around, <laughs> along with this podcast. Yeah. Um, but you can look out for that book. Yes. What do you absolutely. reckon it's going to be called? Oh, uh, look, I like Star Wars After Lucas. Okay. I think I okay. think that that might stick. That's I a think good one. There's a bit of a subtitle that mm. might be played around with at the moment, but yep. you know, it's uh, I, yeah. Look, you know. Uh, University of Minnesota Press, uh, me. Uh, it will be my only book with them at the moment. Revenge, you know? so of, Revenge of the Hipster Beard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Dan>. <laughs> yep. uh, and has a hipster beard, mm, people. <laughs> yes, it's true. It's true. Now, before we, we get stuck into this this uh, wonderful score, got to get the you know the final plugs mm. in there. And of course, if you have any friends who are hanging out for The Last Jedi, maybe they've just seen The Last Jedi mm. and uh, they want to sort of understand a little more about how the music works for these films. Maybe they're a big fan of uh, The Force Awakens. Maybe you have some kids or teenagers who, you know, The Force Awakens was their first Star Wars, which I find fascinating that Mm. that would be your first entry into Star Wars. Show them this uh, podcast. Uh, we'd really appreciate it if you if you share the love around. And of course, if you haven't done it already, uh, like, subscribe, comment, rate, do all of those things on iTunes or whatever um, podcast uh, service you like to listen to our our um, little podcast here. That would be greatly appreciated. So, Dan, do you want to kick it off with a little bit about 
this film. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we've already sort of, I, I suppose, covered where it comes in, in Star Wars history and that, you know, there's this 10 year gap between uh, Revenge of the Sith uh, in 2005 and this film in 2015. And sort of, you know, there was, as you said, um, Andrew, this huge weight of expectation uh, on the film. It was, I think, you know, there's been a lot of films that I've seen even recently. I saw Blade Runner 2049 marketed as yeah, right. the most anticipated film of all time. And I was sort of like, actually, I'm pretty sure The Force Awakens still <laughs> takes that that <laughs> crown of, you know, or at least, you know, the, the franchise film with the highest weight of expectations of it that I can think mm. of. I think Phantom Menace also comes close to. Yeah, it does. And that was certainly mm. a different different moment in time, a different mm. moment in film history yeah. as well. Mm. And sort of fandoms, uh, you know, the, the internet wasn't quite the same. Mm. But but certainly, yes, a very, very big weight of expectation on that. But, you know, it, it was enormously successful. It's the highest grossing Star Wars film by some margin. Is it really? It is, yes. Wow. Not adjusted for inflation. But, you know, adjusted... For, sorry, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, if, if, if it was adjusted for inflation, I think it would still be the original. But yeah, yeah. but adjust uh, not adjusted in raw numbers. Yeah, it's over a billion at least. Yeah, it's one, uh, one well, point. yeah. So it's the highest grossing film in North America, full stop ever. Right. But it's it's um two two billion dollars worldwide yeah, internationally, right. which makes it the third highest of all time after Avatar and Titanic. And Disney picked it up for four billion. Yeah. So they almost made their money back with <laughs> one film, <laughs> which is not bad, not bad at all, really. I mean, it's also important. I heard a lot of people talk about this. Yeah, they got you know. 50 percent of their money back well it's it's not two billion yeah. profit yeah yeah you know they probably spent an awful lot of money worldwide on marketing and all sorts of different things so no i mean yeah. the, the I net- half of what went to harrison ford didn't he get yeah, yeah. <laughs> he got paid a lot well the, the, the net profit they think is about about 800 million dollars yeah right so they spent a lot of money making and promoting this film but you know, it, it did well for them hmm. but yeah i mean i think you know i think one of the interesting things about this film is that it's sort of what I guess I'm calling the legacy film, what other people have called the legacy sequel, which is an awful <laughs> neologism, but you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat, which is kind of this, these series of films that we've seen recently, which you kind of have to differentiate from sequels or regular sequels or, you know, late sequels, which I think are a different kettle of fish, which just sort of turn up late. And that a legacy film is a franchise film that revives a once dormant franchise by transferring it from old actors and old characters to a new generation. Ooh, right. And so you get a whole bunch of different ones like this, such as Star Wars, but mm. also Star Trek, also directed by J.J. Abrams. Yes. I, I sort of argue that Abrams is the kind of paradigmatic or iconic legacy film oh, uh, director. He totally is. Yep. He totally is. And I mean, you know, he also, there are hints of it in Mission Impossible 3 and mm. also in a way in, in Super 8, reviving that Amblin Entertainment sort of thing. But, mm. but, you know, the most clear examples are Creed, Yes. I would say, yep. um, which is a fantastic um, Rocky film with a great soundtrack as well, actually. Mm. But possibly Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull was uh, an attempted shot but at that. I, I think they set up yes. the, the legacy sequel, mm. but it sounds like that's not going to happen. Yes. Because Shire has gone crazy. Yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> well, yeah, as well. I mean, you know, Lucasfilm under Kathy Kennedy has um, alluded to doing Indiana Jones projects, but it's yeah. not yet clear what yeah, that is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this is this kind of interesting moment of, of new filmmaking, I think, or new franchise filmmaking. 
uh, which I think The Force Awakens is easily the, the, the best example of that. And, you know, so, yeah, enormously financially successful, but I think incredibly aesthetically successful. I think it's a great film. And I think, you know, a lot of people talk about it, you know, you'll see the grumpy comments on any YouTube thread or whatever about it just being a remake of A New Hope, which I don't really buy. I think there's a lot of elements that are similar, but firstly, it's not accidental. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a real deliberate attempt there. But also, I think, you know, for me, the most retro thing about this film and you remember that George Lucas at the time shortly before The Force Awakens was released described it as a retro film Disney wanted to make a retro film he sort of scoffed um, <laughs> scoffed into his into his non-hipster beard yeah. um, no I mean Lu Lucas is, is a great man I think a lot of people needlessly criticise him but mm. nonetheless he called it a retro film but I think the most retro thing about The Force Awakens is its kind of joyousness and fast pace in that you That's know interesting. you look yeah. at you look at the blockbusters of today particularly i think things have lightened up but in 2015 you know you have superheroes being gruff and angry and, mm. and in conflict with each other even when they're on the same side yeah. <laughs> um, and that's just the tone, you know, of, of, of blockbusters. Whereas The Force Awakens is three main characters who sort of instantly like each other and are quite friendly and happy. And, you know, it's a bit of a sort of romp in a way. <laughs> I've got to say that's that's one of the one of the standout moments or, or elements of The Force Awakens is how quickly mm. you fall in love yep. with Finn yep. and with Poe. Mm. Like they, they're two characters we've never seen before. They escape the ship. Mm. They're in the TIE fighter. Within about two seconds, yep. you know, two lines, they say inside that TIE fighter, I'm down with these guys. Yep. Like, I want to <laughs> yep. be their best friends. Yep. And there are movies who try to, to get that level of, I really like these characters and mm. I, I'm rooting for them. They, they struggle to, to even get there after two hours. Yeah. Let alone two lines. Yep. And I think that element, same with Ray. The mm. second you meet Ray, the second you see what she's doing, you mm. just fall in love with her. And yeah. I think it's it's the charisma, natural charisma of the actors and all sorts of different elements. Yeah. But, you know, these are all things that JJ helped build. And I think yeah. that that in many ways will be this film's legacy is yeah. bringing these characters mm. in a world where a lot of fans don't necessarily, at least up until that point, didn't want to see new characters. Yeah have now convinced every everybody actually these new characters are great and now I can't wait for stories about them. Now. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree and it also I think sets sets the film up as a as a worthwhile successor to the sort of Star Wars legacy and that you know if you look at the original film A New Hope as it became titled later you know by the end of that film there's that moment where Luke jumps out of the X-wing after he's destroyed the Death Star. And, the, you know, he, he sort of says, and he, Harrison, oh, sorry, not Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill has said that he, this is a mistake, but a lot of fans have misheard this scene where he, he, he says, Leia, as he sort of muffles his voice and it's sort of recorded a bit awkwardly. It sort of sounds like he's saying, believe it or not, Carrie. Oh, And like right. it was just a mistake that he was so excited and so sort of near jubilant. And they were, you know, three young kids. Well, Harrison Ford was a little older, but certainly, you know, uh, Carrie Fisher and, 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 and Mark Hamill were very young and inexperienced. Mm. That they just sort of had a lot of fun on this set. Yep. And filming this scene relatively late in the filming schedule, he just went, oh, Carrie, like my friend, you <laughs> mm -hmm. know. And you sort of buy that. And I sort of buy that with, uh, you know, Finn, Poe and Ray that, you know, they're just... Do, do you yeah. think this, unlike Star Trek, where there are a few name actors, do you think The Force Awakens would have been as successful had they chosen existing name actors? Mm. No. 
I, I'm just yeah, say I, no. I agree. <laughs> I, I think it was, it was a too. really great decision mm. to, to introduce new unknown names. Yeah, Because I guess there's so much is familiar about Star Wars and the Star Wars universe that is created in this film that really it's that, that fantastic balance between the new things mm. and, and, you know, and the old. Yep. Can I be controversial on that topic? Even though I love the idea, I love the actor, I certainly love the actor, I couldn't get behind, at the end of the day, Samuel L. Jackson in the prequels. <laughs> yeah. Only because he is so iconic in everything else. Yes. And when he enters Star Wars- He's got too Star much baggage. Wars, yeah, yeah. When he enters Star Wars, I'm now very aware I'm watching a film. Yeah. And he's, he's like, all right, who, 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 who did he like bribe? It's like, come on, my George, <laughs> let me in your film. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That's what it screams yeah. a bit to me. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. I mean, there's a lot yeah. to be said about yeah. the prequels, but mm. um, pro- probably not today anyway. <laughs> uh, so. But of course, Williams is back. Yes. He is back. No, I don't. We don't do enough Williams. I got to no, say. No, it's true. It's I good to finally get back to a Williams score. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> look, um, we, we, were, we were tossing up whether we were going to do this one because of the John Williams factor. Mm. Uh, and we really do love him as people have discovered over the course of uh, 15 odd episodes so far. But we really just wanted to celebrate that Last Jedi thing. Mm. And um, of course, you don't have to twist my arm too far to, to get back <laughs> into Star Wars. So, Nick... Let's jump straight into it. Now, we're not going to obviously look at the main title and all that sort of stuff. If you want to know a little more about some of those classic themes, then we have a trilogy of episodes about uh, Star Wars New Hope. So, go back through our list and check those out if you want a little primer. If you haven't done that yet, I think they're really fun. But we're going to jump in with some um, of the new music from, from The Force Awakens. And, of course, that starts with the most iconic uh, piece from this film being Ray's theme. Absolutely. Look, before we even talk too much about it, let's hear a bit of this character's theme because really this this is the new emotional core of this film. Possibly the franchise going forwards, who knows? But certainly in this film, this is this is the the, the greatest theme that, that Williams has written for, for this film, in my opinion. Gorgeous. It's yeah. um uh, to me um, reading about Williams and, and how he composes and especially with this theme, he said that he wanted to write something 
which was a hero's theme, but didn't feel overtly heroic, you know, compared to something, something like, like Luke's theme or, you know, Indiana Jones's theme to compare mm. another film, you know, things which are overly heroic. So, and you notice that instrumentally straight from the beginning, you know, the, the instrumentation is light, it's delicate. Mm. Even when there is brass, you're not hearing it blared out in trumpets. It is, there's a sort of noble heroism to it and mm. a light, delicate heroism to it. And I think that really encapsulates this character because- like we said before, she is brand new. We don't know who she are, who she is, where she's going in life, and it's um, it has, I guess, that delicate quality to me is quite endearing to the character and to the theme. And there's a bit of kind of mystery about it in, in some ways. Mm. Um, it's in a minor key. I know we always talk about minor keys on this and major keys that really keeps that kind of that that mystery element about it. And I think it's so fantastic. And of course, Williams doesn't just give us a theme. He gives us multiple components. And the first little bit we hear in the, fi- in the film to do with Ray's theme, I guess we'll call it the introduction for want of a better word. And mm. it's just these light little chords. Um, very simple. And that is the only time we hear it in the film. And it's that little section, I think, where she... Didn't she like slide down? Yeah, the, um, she would have come out of there. Yeah. She's just got out of the uh, the, the star destroyer, right. mm-hmm. and she's at the top of the hill, and she gets onto a uh, whatever like a little little sled, sled yeah. and slides down the hill. And because, of course, Nick, the instrument that is used, our, our Harry Potter fans will be happy mm. to, to hear this uh, come back. Of course, is the Celeste, yep. and uh, just like in Harry Potter, it is sort of used to signify that element of innocence, mm. childlike, you know, moments. And I think it's interesting that that's the only time it comes in in the score because that is the moment when she gets onto that sled and, like a kid, sort of slides down the hill mm. in a childlike way. And that's when you get the Celeste over the mm. top of that. And I think the mixing of those two together, you just see someone on screen who looks like a bit of a badass. Mm. You know, she looks really cool. <laughs> she obviously knows what she's doing because she's going through the place really not haphazardly at all. She knows what she's doing. But then there's that innocence of the sliding down the hill. And mm. that moment there is sort of Ray. It's this hard yeah. worker, mm. highly skilled, knows what she wants to do, but at the same time is sort of optimistic and and a bit of childlike innocence there. Yeah. And all within those opening chords, yeah. we get that. And it's also, I mean, it's kind of a glimpse into her, what her childlike life has been up until this point, you know? Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah. And it's really sort of that moment and then later on, which I think is unscored when she uh, puts the X-Wing helmet on outside her home of the ATAT. Yeah. Yep. Where it's sort of like, oh, this is this is a person who's lived a lived a life by herself, mm. fending for herself. And it's sort of, you know, the, the childlike routine in a way. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe that little bit where she sort of whizzes down on the, the whatever it is, mm. it's the only kind of little bit of fun she has by herself yeah. before she gets whipped up into this crazy story called Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But then we get this, I guess what I'm going to call the riff, Ray's riff. Let's call it Ray's riff for now. <laughs> People, this is, this is on William's cue sheet. Ray's Riff. <laughs> I, I told you. Right? Um, I'm making this up. It's not called Ray's Riff, but I'm going to call it Ray's Riff. And it's this really cool kind of... Uh and it really becomes this fantastic recognisable rhythm um, throughout the whole film and also becomes a bit of a counterpoint to the main theme later on. Um, and William's often, you know, in the concerts where he passes it around woodwinds. Uh 
you know, this kind of thing. But we first just hear it on a light, a light kind of delicate piano, and it really sets up the the underlying kind of rhythmic rhythmic kind of feel of this of this piece. It's sort of Celtic in a way. That's what I always think of. Like it a little lilt. Yeah, yeah, it does sound like yeah. a, a dancing. Yeah, you know. Mm. Yeah, but that that Celtic yeah. dance. Mm. And of course, played on flute. Yes, mm. flute is for girls. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like we like, like clarinet is for boys. Flute is for girls. <laughs> I, I mean, I can sort of imagine it in like his Angela's Ashes score or something like that. Mm. I've always thought that with just that little bit of this melody. Yeah, yeah, and of course that leads into what we'll really define as Ray's theme, good and proper, and it's first here heard quite broadly on on French horns, and yeah, it's just a really kind of beautiful, broad, broad statement, and it's it's this theme in case people have sort of forgotten it already. Etc. You know, has this sort of falling bit, but it's very, it's very broad and noble, and I think that those wide intervals. It's I really mean, kind I, of wide and spaced out. I, I think it, I was thinking about this. I think it's the the melody with the widest intervallic intervallic spaces <coughs> out of any of the Star Wars melodies. Probably Luke and Leia is the only other one that I can think of that has the, that really sort of wide. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that, it's the Luke and Leia thing that kind of reaches up. You're right, um, but it, and it doesn't. It also kind of jumps around. It's a bit up. It's a bit down. Up, down. So, yeah, it really covers a, a wide bit. It's, it's beautiful. Don't you think the, the most fascinating part about John Williams and his melodies is that I hear Ray's theme and I think it is the most singable melody in this whole movie. Mm. But that's not a singable melody. Like when you try to go, la, da, 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 uh, uh, you know, like it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's actually not that easy yeah. to sing. But there is something about the way he composes that that melody just feels like the contour, the shape of that melody doesn't feel like it's big leaps. Yeah. It's like, how is it's he getting very, away with that? It's like kind of smooth velvety chocolate. Yeah. And, and you know, he's underpinnings. It has this sort of, mm. just the strings just had this sort of tremolo figure. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's like kind of the horns when they all, all six of them come in. It's just, to me, it's smooth velvety chocolate. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. It's mm. great. And, uh, uh, when, when, when we're talking about this this riff thing, I'm just going to play a bit of it where you'll hear the um, almost like little punctuations above the melody, and it's really it's a really nice touch where he links those two elements. Those little woodwinds dancing on top. Yeah, really beautiful little little mm. touch there. Yeah, and of course, you know that moment you spoke about before, um, mm. Dan, where Ray is sort of sitting with her her little helmet, eating her lunch or whatever it is. Again, we get a really beautiful performance, quite different to to that French horn one on solo flute.
Oh, kill me. <laughs> so beautiful. Uh, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? That I mean, in that, that first performance that you play with the horns, it, it sounds naive, but somehow assured. It knows what it's doing, but it's, it's innocent in its knowingness. Whereas this is kind of like, it's still assured, but it's kind of melancholy. Yeah. The first one, you know, she's hopping on her little yeah. land speeder. She's got some scavenged goods mm. and she's, she's rocking the, you know, it's like a, she's a bit of a, a grungy chick hopping on her motorbike. Vroom, and off yeah. she goes. <laughs> Whereas this, at the end of the day, you know, you really feel her loneliness, her dreams. Yeah. And it really, I think, echoes those sort of, those shots of Luke Skywalker in A New Hope, mm. you know, gazing into the sunset or just sort of being a bit sort of just lonely on this mm. on this deserted planet. But don't you think the there is a that this melody goes between optimism and you know oh but it's I'll never be that person. Mm. Even her putting on the we're talking about the helmet. Her, her putting on the helmet, she's surrounded by this graveyard mm. of, you know, a battle that happened in the past. And there are all of these, you know, imperial ships and, you know, walkers and things that are that have all been destroyed. And there's obviously some kind of, you know, galactic battle that has happened that they either know stories about mm. or they've become legend already. Who knows what it is? And she puts on that helmet and it's a it's a rebel helmet and that melody is playing it's almost like she's sort of dreaming about being yeah. that hero at that moment and she's looking through the the visor of a pilot that mm. would have been in that battle and there is that that dreaming of you know, there's there's something out there. You know, there's yeah. this amazing world yep. out there that I will probably never know. And you know, it's just sort of this yearning to to you know be part of it. De- definitely. And I mean, I think that's sort of part of the film's brilliance and the fact that it's reflected in the music is 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 incredible. Um, in that it you know it really the it was J J Abrams easily his best move was displacing the sort of awe and nostalgia that we have for the original trilogy or rather that the majority of the audience mm. has displacing that within the film as well and and mythologizing the events of the original trilogy yeah and yeah. so she you know she it's, is dreaming of it's almost like what every nerdy star wars fan did as a kid he'd sort of yeah. sit down after yeah yeah dinner. exactly he'd put on his little toy helmet and yeah. go god i wish i was it <laughs> yeah killing x-rings and yeah, flying yeah, around yeah. you know <laughs> yeah exactly exactly because so it we, allow- we all feel what she's feeling yeah and it allows that bridge and then later when you know when han turns up and says it's true all of it already did in the trailer you mm. know yeah it, it it allows that complete mirroring of the characters emotions in the film with the audiences uh, which is i mean you know is reflected beautifully in the music because it's new while still remaining in the same ballpark, yep. the same yeah. language yep. of Star Wars. Now, look, we, we could talk about this scene for ages, but I want to skip quite a forward head in the film. And there's a, a fantastic use, an interesting use, when Rey is abducted by Kylo Ren and Finn is sort of you know, running through the battle scene on, is it Takodana? Is that Takodana. Takodana. Yes. That's the green planet. Mm. If uh, sort of halfway through the film, <laughs> if people can't remember. And it's, there's a kind of a really broad strained version of race theme, but it, it still has an element of heroism kind of being ripped out of our hands. And it sort of reminds me like she's not the sole focus because she's sort of been knocked unconscious and she's being carried, mm. but, uh, you've got Kylo Ren, you've got Han Solo and Chewie fighting, you've got Finn running, yet her theme is the center of, of attention. Sort of like when Obi-Wan Kenobi was killed and his theme wasn't there, it was someone else's theme mm. transplanted. So, have a listen. It's a really powerful 
powerful and intense version of her theme. And they actually change the uh, the rhythm, so it's no longer all on the beat. All of mm. a sudden, it becomes off the beat. It comes on the if you if you think of the beat as one, two, three, four, and the 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 bits in between the beat, we can call them and so one and two and three and four. Those all of a sudden the the melody goes off the beat. Well, I so think yeah, it's, it's sort of syncopated with the the harmony. And, and yeah, creates exactly. A really cool feel. Yeah, and so it sort of both puts it off kilter a little bit. Yeah. something's wrong. Mm. It also gives it forward momentum uh, because you have these things appear, uh, appearing off the beat and they want to move towards the next beat. So there's forward momentum, it's off kilter and once again mirroring what is sort of happening within that scene. You know, it's uh, there's conflict and there's, you know, uh, it's trying to move forward, it's rushing, you know, at the same time. Mm. And yeah. I just, I yeah, love it. Such a nice, little, nice little, uh, little shift there. Yeah. Mm. Now, Ray's theme has a bridge. Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to call it a bridge. It's a passage we only hear twice in the film outside of, I guess, the concert version. But it, 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 it actually plays in really sort of key emotional moments. And one is where Ray runs out of Maz Kanata's temple. Um, you know, she sort of has that flashback with the lightsaber and then uh, Maz is sort of, you know, saying you you could be great, whatever, blah blah blah, and she just wants to kind of go back. So she runs out, and there's a nice kind of impassioned performance. And this, if you're not quite sure what I'm talking about, it's this. Yeah, so just this sort of repeated phrase. You know, with a nice little kind of major resolution at the end. So it's it's a bit of sort of minor key tension and, and then a, oh, a, a bit of a breath. And interestingly, it happens the only other time when she's rescued by Chewie in that kind of snow forest. Mm-hmm. Where, where is that snow forest? Uh, it's on the stuff. It's actually on the snow. It's on, it's on the bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is too. So mm. the base has... Flora. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Does it I have think fauna? <laughs> I mean, look, I, I haven't read into this, mm. and I'm sure there's whole Wikipedia pages dedicated to this, but mm. it's a planet yeah. first and was always a planet. And then they oh, have okay. come so, in- So, it's not like it's just a massive Death Star. No, like no, actual- no. And then they've come in and built a, um, a, a laser weapon within, within the it. planet. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's yeah, when, when Chewie comes in the Falcon and rescues Ray and she, you know, they pick up Finn who's sort of unconscious and, and escape, you'll hear this sort of Ray's bridge section come in again. Millennium Falcon comes in.
and all good things come then. Mm. So yeah, it's it's a really nice little little passage and mm. and and yeah, underscoring some really key key moments. And Williams really emphasizes that major chord in. Yeah. He brings the trumpets in over the top da and da it's yeah, ta da! Like it's yeah. it's a you know it's it's a little victory, mm. a little mini yeah. victory that that happens at the moment, even though it's sort of. I mean, it, you wouldn't call it a defeat, really, mm. but it's certainly not the big victory. No. Um, but it's that little moment of maybe it's that they, they're safe. They yeah. made it, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, hands mm. not. <laughs> yeah. So, well, no, exactly. I mean, uh, and that's why it's not that full yeah. victory. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, before we leave Ray's theme, I think we've all discussed this probably at different times, but there are a couple... Um, I guess allusions to other Williams themes in in all the kind of different bits of this theme, um, which uh, I think would be kind of fun to discuss. Mm. And Andrew, we were talking before about how parts of this theme remind you of Harry Potter, actually. Yeah, the Prisoner of Azkaban. Exactly. So you know, one of my favourite Harry Potter scores the, from the Prisoner of Azkaban, and of course there is that moment where uh, I got, at the start of the film. They're in the Great Hall and there's the choir and they've got the toads (laughs) in their arms (laughs) and there's the double, double toil and trouble little melody melody that they they sing. And when I heard this in the cinema, and by that I mean heard this this theme in The Force Awakens in the cinema at the midnight screening, half tired, the you know I instantly thought of this thing. And am am I close, Nick? Is it? Oh, you are. It's I mean this sort of it's this. uh And the double, double toil and trouble theme mm. is sort of. So if you put them together, I mean. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look, and this is the problem. They really kind of is. Yeah, they fit I, together well. I. That's the first thing that came to mind, mm. and I <laughs> and I remembered in my or I thought I had remembered in my head that it were they were almost identical. And then, of course, I went back and checked out the score and it was a... Da, 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 da. I'm like, oh, they're not even close. But it's actually the harmony that we're reacting to. Yeah. It's mm. the, you know, it's the yeah, keys it's, it's and the... that minor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what what the raise one doesn't have is that kind of that, um, that leading note, which is like if we're in a, a minor chord... And yeah. Really... Um, yeah. That, 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 that dominant sort of positioning thing... If you do that with Ray's theme, um, yeah, it just it skewers it towards Harry Potter a bit. Yeah. Oh, funny that, isn't it? And I also <laughs> suspect that it's the Celeste as well. Oh, look, yeah. That is helping that go, oh, you know, it's yeah. it's definitely Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it's- uh, Light, tinkly, yeah. mysteriousness. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, And yeah. I also hear in this little riff bit- I hear bits of the terminal, which has that sort of like a bumbling. Like if Ray was lost in an airport from Kazakhstan or something, you know, this could be her music. And I've actually spliced together Ray's theme and the terminal. And it it could almost be the one bit of music. Have a listen. Just with a bit of a klezmer clarinet at the end. (laughs) 
You know, it's wow. like she's sort of just she's stumbled into like a a, a weird cantina yeah. and is selling her wares there or something. But it's that. You know, which is really repetitive in the, in the terminal. Yeah, just a little link. Mm, absolutely. Um, but of course, going back to, to Harry Potter and Azkaban especially, um, there's a great cue, Buckbeak's Flight. Oh, fantastic. Uh, which, yeah, one of the best pieces in that film. And there's, there's just sort of lyric yearning, I guess, elements of this theme and the way Williams, I guess, modulates into new kind of harmonies, which is very reminiscent. And I'll play a bit of Ray's theme and Buckbeak's back to back. And you'll, you know, the melodies are different, but you'll hear stylistic and orchestrational similarities. They're very close. You know, just that sort of yeah, da ba do ba do ba do ba rum theme. Yeah, and yeah. is is it in both cases the sort of soaring theme is uh, violins in octaves or yeah. high strings in octaves with with some brass underneath? Is yeah, that- sort of you know brass chords, yeah. uh, strings in octave, often you know supported by horns, you know down the octave yeah. or two with the melody. So yeah, orchestrationally, that's that's a definite you know as a Williams ism yeah. there going on. And there is something about it. I it must be my my upbringing. I hear you know I didn't grow up with Buckbeak's theme mm. but I, I hear that and I start getting a little emotional yeah you know like there's something about that style that's why I love movie yeah. music so it's much it's the 80s Williams fantasy yeah. style I mean yeah. not even Williams just so many composers of that era we should do an episode on like 80s fantasy scores and just <laughs> see how many similar you know James yeah. Horner has heaps of stuff yeah you know like that where it really just sort of oh, it takes you to another planet yeah you know or another world and it's, it's really kind of it's taking your imagination and running with it you know absolutely I just love it I love it so yeah. much every mm. time mm. Uh, now Nick, I have a. I, I think there's another thing, you know, another melody that Ray's theme is directly related to, and that is the Force theme. Mm-hmm. Now, oh. there is no melodic similarity, but definitely in the harmony. So, with uh, the Force theme, you've got those sort of minor chords, and then you've got that major turn right at the end. There it is. Yeah. That's that sort of, you know, light side versus dark side, you know, idea. And of course, Ray's theme is constructed exactly the same way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't even notice it before. (laughs) And (laughs) I think that that is not an accident. Definitely not. I think that it is, you know... John Williams this is one of these great moments we haven't seen The Last Jedi there will be mm. a, quite a few people who will listen to this episode after seeing The Last Jedi mm. and therefore we at this point, point in time we don't know who's Ray's parents are or who, what her lineage is what her mm. deal is but we know um, she has the force yeah she we? definitely yeah. has the mm. force but this is really telling us that the force is not only with her I start questioning, does the Force play a bigger part? Is she just somebody who, you know, is good at the, good with the Force, you know, some for some whatever reason that will be revealed later, I'm sure. Or is this a, I mean, I, I don't want to use the 
term second coming. But is this, uh, you know, is the force play a greater part in mm. Ray's story because of the fact that her melody is, is you know, built from the force thing? Same DNA. Mm. I, I, I wonder about that. I mean, look, I have to say, though, uh, I saw uh, a thing where John Williams addressed the crowd after performing a concert suite of this and, and was sort of talking about how he, how he came up with Ray's theme and blah, 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 and, you know, sort of made some offhand comment about her probably being a Skywalker or something mm. and then was like, actually, they never told me. Oh. I don't know. Well, you've ruined everything yeah, for me. Yeah, so, so... Maybe I, look, Williams has the force and just knew... <laughs> maybe, maybe. This is the theme you are looking for. You know? Maybe. <laughs> but it, but you're definitely right. Mm. And I think that... Uh, well, I mean, we we might hear the... I mean, this is something that, that John Williams makes abundantly clear in the end credits. Absolutely. In those end credits, he just goes right at the end of the credits. He says, actually, these themes are totally the same and um, melds them together in uh, this little moment here. And of course, then Ray's theme builds out of the the Force theme again, and you know he just makes such a point to sort of show these two things are the same, yeah. And one answers the other. Is yeah. it you know is it Ray answering the call of the Force? Is that that she has the Force as part of her? Mm. You know, is that is the Force her destiny? I think that you know musically it actually asks all the same questions that I'm asking as a fan. Is asked within that theme so i yeah i completely agree i mean for 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 me that's the 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 moment of the the score actually i just love that moment (laughs) in in the final 30 seconds yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) well worth sitting through all the credits for i think it's absolutely fantastic but um also that's uh uh, something that the makers of the trailer for the last jedi pick up on is that the notice that mm, yeah in in the full international trailer well the the full trailer it's scored by the intermingling um and i mean i guess i just want to say because I'll come back to this with a few other points throughout this episode that I think that this is Williams really getting what this film is about Mm. in that he's saying here's you know and and this is I think in in a way this is Williams providing a blueprint for thinking more sophisticatedly about this film than oh it's a remake of A New Hope because it's about Williams going oh here's a bit of the old and here's a bit of the new and we're just going to sort of play them next to each other we're going to intersperse them and that for me is what the whole film is is that it's yep. a bit of old and a bit of new and they're just interspersed and they're sort of put next to each other and, and played off against each other and I just think it's really beautiful mm. but I did have one final thing which I feel almost dirty for bringing up because it's it's so <laughs> (laughs) different to all the other beautiful excerpts that we've heard so far which is just to prove two points firstly that Ray's theme is now the Star Wars theme going forward for this new era yep that it's come to define Star Wars secondly that it is an incredibly strong piece of music being able to be put in almost different context and settings and styles I want to play you I don't know if either of you are a fan of the Star Wars show on YouTube <laughs> which yes, is yes, yes a, yep. a web series which yeah I made it's official, is it officially or, yeah, through it is, the Star Wars channel yeah, yeah so it's it's made by Lucasfilm mm. and they have this uh, introduction which I, I can only get by playing you the actual start so you'll hear you know this week on the Star Wars show yeah, on the yeah. top of it but but he, here we go this is this is for a new version of Ray's theme 
Star Wars Show. Andy and Anthony hang out with the actual Inferno Squad. We play a game of Star Wars Battlefront 2 in real life and much, much more. Now, from the Lucasfilm headquarters, it's the Star Wars Show. Yeah. I mean, that, that riff, imagine that on like some sine wave synth. Yeah. It could yeah. be like a total rave number. Yeah. Uh, bring the house down. I mean, Give I, it to Dead Mouse and I, he'll be like, wow, wow, Exactly. Wow, wow, but I mean, wow, I think wow. it's really interesting how like, you know, that, that little riff right at the end there, they do it and then they build up, they take the, the bottom, the bass note up a, a minor third yeah. underneath that. And it's sort of, you know, it does something a little bit different with it. And it just shows that this music is so solid. It's like a dude I'll go. I'll stop my <laughs> riff there. Yeah. <laughs> but look, in the spirit that uh, in 1977, uh, was it Miko had their disco remix of, of, yeah, of, Star, of Star Wars, Wars hit the top of the charts. So I feel like you know it's worth just thinking about that. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> let's let's move on. Yeah. I I actually had I had one one extra thing uh, to talk about with this ah. with this race theme, and that is uh, I was playing the soundtrack again on a very long road trip recently in the car. And I heard this moment in the, um, I guess it's in the concert suite, and there is this ascending flute line that goes ba da ba da ba da ba da, and it reminded me of something. And I was talking to my wife. I'm like, "What is that? What is that? Really driving me crazy?" Until I realised it was the a transition within the Jawa theme from A New Hope, <laughs> and which I thought, "Wow, actually, that makes perfect sense." The Jawas were scavengers um, going around <laughs> wow. collecting junk, you know, from, you know, busted up droids and other yeah, things. That's exactly yeah. what Ray does. The Jawas are not from, they're not natives to that planet. And Ray is not a native to Jakku. And the similarities are actually pretty striking. And once again, I don't think it's, a mis- you know, a, a wow. mistake that Williams has grabbed these two little elements, or this 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 rising flute element, to sort of give that little hark back to the the scavengers of of Tatooine, and uh, you know, juxtaposing with the scavenger of of Jakku. Incredible. Yeah, it's small. Well, yeah, look, I, I hear it. I absolutely yeah, hear yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yep. never thought about that. There we go. Anyway, look, from, from Ray's theme to the polar opposite, let's move to Kylo Ren because he really is her brother. <laughs> no, 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 I'm kidding. Look, we'll, we'll find out soon enough. I don't know who he is. Don't, don't you think this is, this will be amazing to listen mm, to when you yeah. watch the next film yeah. and possibly, uh, maybe they don't, you we'll don't see find how, out. how wrong we were. Yeah, yeah. And then you can sort of just hear us joking about the fact that, oh yeah, wouldn't that be hilarious if it was, you know, her brother and it, it is her brother. Yeah. <laughs> no, look, let, let's not beat around the bush. Kylo Ren is the Darth Vader character of this yeah, film. Of course. Look, Williams is even on the record as saying that he wanted his music to, to basically, to feel very home in the Darth Vader universe the music totally is that it's it's distinct it's big it's brassy it's menacing uh it's also malleable in different contexts and interestingly here williams gives us actually two distinct motifs for kylo ren the first is actually the the first character theme we hear in the entire film and is when his ship arrives down down to jacko and it's really powerful brass statement
So just five simple notes. You know, and Williams often does it on unison horns, really in that that middle kind of ballsy register where they can really be brassy and 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 sort of you know penetrate the the texture, often with a big sort of low chord. You know, it really cuts through, and it, and it's it's very simple, it's very direct, it has a lot of clarity mm. in that way, and it's. Perfect for a villain. Yeah, you know, it's very one-dimensional in some ways. Yeah, no, I agree. Look, when I when I first heard this, uh, I was sort of like, oh, uh, you know, well, if I was going to write a villain's theme, that's sort of, you know, well, it's sort of maybe a bit cliched or something like that. But the more I hear it, the more I love it. I think it's <laughs> just it's so perfect for the character, and it's so just direct, as you say. It's 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 crystal clear. This guy is up to no good, you know? And yep. it's just so bold and clear and, you know, almost Wagnerian and it's and it's just brass, like, boom, there it is. Yeah. Could you, I mean, you, you're talking about being cliched. Mm. I think about Kylo Ren as, an, as a character in the film. He is playing the character of a bad guy. Yeah. Yep. Within the film. As in Kylo Ren is, you know, resisting the pull to the light side. Mm. He's sort of, it, it suggests, is naturally a, a good guy. Mm. who has some issues with his folks and others maybe and now has turned to the dark side to seek you know whatever he's after mm. but he now has to act like a bad guy mm. he has to act like he's in charge if nothing else he obviously has the tantrums those are all very natural and he's not playing the character there it's like mm. he needs to convince himself yeah, yeah. i'm not yeah. sure if i'm good or bad so i'm i'm going i'm going to really ham up the badness yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. my granddad was a badass <laughs> yeah and so and i keep his burnt helmets in my bedroom <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. You know, so torture chamber. Yeah, it's almost like I think maybe that melody works. Then, yep. if it's sort of a really cliched bad guy, it's mm. him coming out going, "I am the bad guy." You know, yeah. as he walks out. Mm. And what I loved about this film when first watching it was such a shock to have him re- remove his mask. Yeah, and he doesn't look bad really mm. at all. And I thought that initially I was a bit taken back, going, "Oh, you wrecked it. He's not scary anymore." Mm. But then I realised. But that's sort of the point. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. and I wonder whether this melody is sort of like the, the drama, the, the, the artificial drama. Yeah. Well, uh, yes, I agree. I very much agree. And I think that it would be interesting for all of these reasons to see what Williams does with it in the next mm. film. Yeah. Um, as and of course, of um, even when it's not big and bombastic in your face, it is still, it's still a directness. And it's, I think a lot of the time because it's just, the the accompaniment is generally very simple. It's just like a sort of a held chord, and that brassy kind of uh, fanfare, whether it's loud or soft, um, has room around it to to penetrate the texture. A bass clarinet in there as well. Yeah, oh, yeah. I just love a bit of bass clarinet in any <laughs> score. It doesn't matter what it's doing. You know why I think you can also. What's amazing about this recording, more than I noticed with the originals, mm. you can hear all of the, the key clicks. keys clicking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like they don't hide the fact that no. these are humans playing real instruments. Yeah, yep. I, I think that's that. fascinating. There's, that's there's a bit. Like, there's one of the emotional kind of stringy bits, and you can hear Williams. <laughs> Like breathing, yeah. or maybe it's a cello. Like I, I know, yeah, yeah. I know, ch- cellists love to breathe like more than any other player. <laughs> I, I know some friends who like when they play cello, they're just they're yeah. snifferoos. They're <laughs> you know like addicted to oxygen. Uh, yeah, they're just like I need to breathe and feel this emotion, and you can hear that in the recording. It's yeah. great. Now Ren's other theme, and I'm not sure what we'd really if maybe if that one was called the fanfare. This one would be the 
Well, actually, Dan, some, you, you had a really good some, way of putting some, it. Some people have described it, fans, obviously. Fans. Um, they've called the first one that we've just heard Ren's menacing theme. Okay, yep. It it's, is pretty menacing. You know, it's when he's trying to be evil. Yes. And this next one is his conflicted theme. Um, because firstly, uh, it's mo- it's heard first when he confesses to the helmet that he's <laughs> sort of being attracted to the light side, that he feels the call of the light. Yeah, that's an interesting. All right, well, let's let's hear this this conflicted theme. I wonder if it feels so. Just in case you guys can't hear it out there, it's this sort of repeated note. Um, and and the performance of that repeated note, I mean, musicians love, well, rather, they hate playing repeated notes the same way. They love kind of giving it a bit of, you know, a bit of shape. So, you wouldn't just go... You know, it's very boring. So, it, it always has this sort of drawn out... You know, lots of sniffing involved. Even when it's quiet. There's almost like, imagine kind of like stringy toffee. It really has a, a, mm. a pull mm. sort of element to it. And maybe that really works with that conflicted thing you're talking mm. about. And if he's p- feeling the pull to the the light side or is is determined to be dark side... Mm. Is this once again this theme doing that? It's got the dun 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 dun. dun. We don't know where that's going. Could be somewhere good. Mm. Yeah. And then it eventually gives way to the dark. You know, when it heads down, um, right at the end. So dun 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 dun. dun. Yeah, you could totally do a different version of that, couldn't you? Mm. Where he turns the light and just go up. And- <laughs> no, father. <laughs> I love you, son. Yeah, yeah look at that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. Amazing. Um, uh, give us the gig. Give the us the gig, yeah, JJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, William is 80. He'll, he'll, yeah. he'll, he might have time. Yeah. Um, now, uh, contrasting with that that subtle performance there, you mentioned the sort of the pull of the light and the dark. It, it's also performed like that when Leia and Han are talking about their son. It mm. has everything sort of soft, you know, low woodwind figure. But when uh, Kylo Ren kind of sort of surprises Rey on Takodana, they're sort of in the forest and he kind of appears out of the rocks. Yep. It's quite a shocking moment. It, it's really delivered quite forcefully, and it's a real it's a real assault. And it's it's pulling, I guess, almost like Ray into the dark side. So it's a it's a different kind of pull. And there's those mosquitoes. At yeah, the that's, end. yeah. It's actually filmed actually in the Australian outback. They used it as a set. <laughs> it's like, cut, everyone, let's clear the flies. <laughs> it's great little writing that for strings, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's got a real sense of menace to it. Mm. Um, so, again, very, very adaptable themes, but both very simple 
and direct. And, right. yeah, and I mean, you know, uh, I think uh, take place very much, as we said, within the, the Darth Vader musical universe. Yeah. Um, mm. Certainly that, that second one, I think it has the same uh, harmonic intervals as, as the Imperial Oh, March. yeah, it does a bit, doesn't I it? I think. Yeah. Or is it the... F- I don't know. They, they yeah... Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And even yep. even the first one, um, I think we were talking about this earlier. Mm. One of us pointed out where um, if we play that kind of that second part of Vader's theme, All right, if we just take that phrase. hear it in there a yeah bit. i love it yeah and I, I love mean, it <laughs> look it's you know I, I don't think it's you know the intended to make audience members sit up in their seat I, I think go, it's oh just, my god it's, it's a version of no, i think it's, it's william's um, musical dna it's yeah his, it's his villain language yeah. and i mean yeah. certainly the the fact that it is a very like you know it, that phrase of the Imperial March is hardly used as shorthand for Vader in any scene. No. So it's kind of interesting in a way. And again, fits the character. If it's this sort of minor tail end of the Imperial March that, yeah. that, you know, that Kylo Ren has adopted as, as his own identity. Cause that's all he can ever, you know, he can never have yeah. the, main, the main bit. Yeah. He gets the shred of mm. DNA of the chords. Yep. And then he gets the part of the melody that we rarely hear. Yeah. Yeah. So it is. It is the remainder of that bloodline, definitely. Mm. There, which yeah, I yeah, think it's, is it's a nice thought, isn't it? Yeah, mm. yeah, it's cool. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> um, let's move on to uh, not really a character theme, but more, you know, quite, quite a, a strong piece that Williams wrote specifically for this film for the Resistance, mm. who are the rebels, I guess, in this film, aren't they? Mm. Yes. Yep. And it's a it's a piece of music that you know is is only heard twice in the film, but it's it's pretty strong and it's. It's a bit unusual for for Williams because to me there are many classical kind of um, isms in yes. that. Um, I hear a lot of Shostakovich mm-hmm. in it, and and it's it's I guess look l- let me play a bit of it um, where it first appears uh, when all the X wings come flying into Takodana to kind of save the day, um, and it's a it's a cue that Williams dubbed "Good Guys Shooting." I think this is a, I mean, I think it's a really interesting theme because to me, it also sums up a bit of the enigma that is this, that is this score in that there are a lot of choices made that aren't quite the choices that you would 
expect to be made. Yeah. I mean, if you contrast this to the Rebel fanfare, I mean, there couldn't be there couldn't be two more different moods. You know, the Rebel fanfare being the you know is so like here come the good guys, and that's sort of like here come the good guys, and they're very serious. Or, yeah, you know, <laughs> um, they're you know they're 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 here to 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 fight really hard rather than. It's like they're kind of too organized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wonder with this, I mean, unless um, we, we want to discuss the inter- in- internal workings of this theme uh, more. Uh, n- no, I mean, look, I, I was just going to say, to me, the those the classical kind of Shostakovichisms are those um, da, da, yat, da, 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 kind of rhythms mm. and all those offbeats, you know. Um, I'm not mm. playing the right notes, but you kind of get that um ba ba um ba um yeah, yeah. Which, which like one of his sarcastic marches. Yeah, they're a bit kind yeah. of it's a bit kind of dorky in some yeah. ways, also plodding. But it, it, I mean, it totally works, and that, mm. those brass moments are very Williams. Mm. But uh, I mean, like, he's called it March of the Resistance, and it does have that that classical march really element to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, you're hardly going to get out the snare drum and march, you know, troops down the road to this. It'd be quite difficult. To yeah. Do <laughs> I mean, I I wonder, perhaps not in that presentation of it but i wonder whether it's actually kind of a, a bit of a fugue actually uh, y- yeah Nick, uh, can you tell us what a, a fugue well is? so a fugue is basically where um one section and this could be if you're on a piano it could be one hand it could be one line in a string quartet or in this case an orchestra someone plays a melody and then another section of the orchestra takes up a melody often in like a different key and they kind of like start layering up these melodies and I mean, people like composers like J.S. Bach um, wrote books, you know, of, of this kind of material where mm. melodic stuff was just kind of interplayed off, 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 off each other. And there, there is a version in the end credits. Yeah. Which uh, is much more fugal. It's, it's totally. And this is, this is the most classical sounding bit, yes. I think, that Williams mm. has ever written for, for a Star Wars film. Ch- check it out. The second line. Third line. Fourth line. It's a great little moment. The end credits suite is so good. Yeah. Um, but it's I almost mean, like he's developing this material. Yeah. You know? It's very something one of the classical composers would do. Exactly. It's really fascinating. And, and, and so, I mean, I have two reasons to, to bring this up. Um, firstly, is that I'm, I'm going to return to this kind of idea that I, I started to put forth with, with Ray's theme and the Force theme before, and that I think this is Williams implicitly understanding what kind of film this is. And actually, it, it's possible that someone, uh, some of our listeners might have read an article that I wrote for Kotaku slash Gizmodo, those two websites where I sort of expanded on this idea that, actually we can kind of think of The Force Awakens, the film, as a kind of fugue in that it's presenting and representing similar material from A New Hope in the original trilogy mm. in different ways. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I just, I think is 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 a, a much more interesting way of thinking about The Force Awakens than, oh, it's a remake of A New Hope. Um, but um, also the second reason, and we'll continue to return to this idea, but the, the, <laughs> the second reason that I bring it up is because Williams has done fugues before. And the most famous of his fugues uh, would have to be uh, this one from Jaws. Mm. 
which is, you know, the, the lovely, it's, it's called the Shark Cage Fugue uh, from Jaws. But the reason that I play that is not just simply to point out that Williams has done fugues before, but that I think that perhaps Giacchino was listening to John Williams returning to this idea of a fugue in The Force Awakens. And when it came time for Rogue One, he was like, actually, no, I'm going to delve into the Williams back catalogue and, and get this idea of the fugue going as sort of, you know, what Rogue One is doing in a sense as well. Because the track that is called Rogue One, bearing in mind the shark cage fugue that we just heard, sounds like this. <laughs> Which is just I wow! Mean, that's <laughs> that's Jaws. <laughs> yeah, it's Jaws. It's, I, it's, I never picked up on that. Yeah, I did not pick up on it. Wow. I mean, you know, you could you could say, uh, well, it's just Giacchino trying to do this this sort of seventies John Williams sound, but at the same time, it's I mean, I look, that's I like nice. I like the idea of the fugue as sort of uh, a musical a <laughs> idea. Yeah, but also summing up what these what these films are doing anyway. And look, with this with this resistance bit, I just want to play a little section of, believe it or not, Jurassic Park, which has this kind of typical Williams pedal pedal low. But when I say pedal, I mean like a low kind of repeated note in the the, the bass sections of the orchestra, with really strong noble kind of horn string, um, sort of fanfarish stuff on top. And you'll hear a bit from Jurassic Park, and it, it's almost yeah, it, it's really close to it to to a bit that leads into the resistance theme. So that really sort of, you know, we're getting stuff done. Yeah. We're, we're yep. getting getting the band together and we're going to get organised and take these guys down. Mm. So, it's yeah, it's just a nice, nice little sort of moment there. Mm. Yeah, nice match. Now, let's move on to Poe. Poe Dameron. Yes. What a, what a name. Yeah. Poe. <laughs> That's great. Where do they get these names from? That's great, isn't it? Um, so, Poe gets, uh, kind of gets a theme. Again, something that appears only a couple of times in the film, but it's, it's really great. Mm. And it always appears sort of in conjunction with some kind of him saving the day or him saving the moment. You know, he's generally flying. Um, he's just doing heroic stuff whilst mm. flying. <laughs> yep. It's it's kind of very similar to the way Han Solo in the original trilogy would often like flying at the last minute, you know, like he does in episode four and a couple of other times, shoot the X-Wing off and go, woohoo, you know, I'll <laughs> save the day. Um, and Williams gives us this really wide soaring melody. It's, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, similar huge intervals in that. Um, yeah, it's a raised theme. Yeah. yeah, 
But I think because Poe is really, he's kind of like the bad boy of this film. You know, yeah. Finn's a bit more kind of cleaner cut in some ways. Mm-hmm. Poe's got that kind of, you know, the leather jacket. He's yeah. sort of a bit like the Shia LaBeouf. Mm. He's a bit out of control. Mm. He's like the cute guy that comes in and saves the day. And so his theme is a bit sort of, hey, I'm the show off. I mean, he's the ace pilot. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. the ace pilot. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, is, is that tune in three? Is it a waltz? It is. It's in three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't call it a waltz. No, no, no. But but you know, right, sorry. it's in three. Yeah, it is in three. Yeah. Um, one, two, three, one, two, one. Is, yeah. yeah, and yes, it's not overtly a waltz, yeah. but I do think I'd that I'd love to hear a waltz version of it. I <laughs> 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 should have brought in my accordion. I just thought, Hello, I'm Poe Dameron. Come to save the day. Yeah. <laughs> but don't you think that that use of of you know. Th- a melody in three as opposed to four yeah. actually gives it the the dancing flight-like movement. Yeah. Like if he came in in four as more of a march, then it would be more grounded. Mm. You know, a theme in four feels grounded. It feels like it's, you know, marching or, you know, potentially a heroic Yeah, theme. if it was in four. Mm. Yeah. It's, I mean, obviously mm. there'd be some rhythm there, but yeah, 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 yeah. it doesn't have that propulsive... Yeah, whereas this sort of is, it's skipping, you know, yeah. and and this is this really for me is one of the great special effect shots of this entire film. I agree, uh, and it is because I think there is a simplicity about it, but the complexity comes from the fact that they it's a single shot, and they a pan along following this this. There's two levels of action. Mm. There's the level at Finn's. You know, where all of this stuff is happening. And then there is action happening up in the sky. And you can see all of it. And it's all in focus. And they're not cutting back and forth between, you know, like you talk about Han Solo turning up and doing something dramatic. There's quick cuts, you know. So, you don't ever really get to see him flying the Millennium Falcon until you really get into the um, asteroid field to yeah. see what sort of pilot is this guy. You know, you, yep. you hear he's great and you sort of assume they're whizzing around, but you never really get a feel for it. Mm. And this is the same in this film. It's the first time you see him in a dogfight mm. and he's whizzing around and you're like, this guy is phenomenal. And then you combine that with a waltzing sort of dance-like thing and it's effortless for him yep. you know he's he's not i'm like he's high-fiving people as he goes <laughs> yeah. around you know <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah. not sort of like concentrating yeah. and yeah. hanging yeah. on yeah. for dear yeah. life he he's absolutely he's like, go on yeah. go on hey high five <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean i sort of uh, you know imagine the cockpit window rolling down and him just high-fiving finn as they go past <laughs> yeah. and then you know because yeah. <laughs> there's like there's an arrogance about how totally. how that yeah. whizzes yeah. around and, and that theme is sort of there is an arrogance and an assuredness about mm. the theme as well, yeah. so yeah, and and it comes in again, uh, probably slightly nobler, but but still kind of very heroic, um, right at the end where they blow up the the Star Killer base and Poe sort of leads all the X wings in, and I'm going to keep it playing because it really it moves into a beautiful version of, <clears throat> and we're going to talk about this a bit in the next episode, but of the Force theme in again in three, which we don't often hear the Force theme played in 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 triple time.
And it's really nice because the way the way we're discussing the force theme and Ray's theme kind of intertwined, it's like Williams has treated the force theme uh, with Poe's kind of DNA. Mm. You know, it's, sort of, mm. it, it's taken that heroism of, of him and the, the really happy-go-lucky, woohoo, and it just gives it a nice kind of buzz. Because usually the force theme is given that real kind of regal or yeah. sincere, slow, mm. mournful or, or sort of, you know, religioso kind of performance. And there it's really, really bopping along. I honestly don't know if we hear the force theme in, in three at any other point in any of the other films. Yeah. I certainly can't think of it. I can't think examples. of it either. Yeah. If, you know, if you know at home, mm, mm. then write in on our Twitter. We're still giving away free lightsabers. So free we, lightsabers. we've got four left. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> can I have one? <laughs> no, they're, for the, they're for the people that write into our podcast. Oh, okay. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, write in uh, Twitter uh, at Art of the Score, Facebook, Art of the Score. Also Instagram. Comment on the, on the post that we put up. Yeah. And uh, if you know another version, I'd love to hear about it. Mm. Anyway. Now, we've got like a couple more themes I want to discuss before we move on to some of the old stuff. One is, they're not, not really themes. They're more like action motifs. And one's for Finn and one's for the Millennium Falcon. And sometimes they kind of can be a bit interchangeable. But the one that really, for my mind, cements it as being Finn's theme or, or motif is when they're escaping the 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 deaths, not the deaths, not what they're called, Star Destroyers. Star, Star. Him and Poe are sort of um, whizzing about, you know, outside the Star Destroyer trying to escape in their little uh, stolen TIE uh, Fighter. Tie fighter. Mm. Um, and it's this, again, three, four little figure. I'll just play it for on, on the piano. So it's it's sort of like a again feels a bit Shostakovichy to me. Mm-hmm. It has a kind of skip and a bounce to it, and is a really kind of funky ostinato. And you can really feel it's like a sort of a, it's a work in progress kind of struggle. Mm. It's kind of monotonous and, and very workmanlike. If that's Finn's motif, do you think there are, you know, shades of Poe's glorious theme, sort of like echoes of that happening in the brass? So you've it's, got- You know what? It's that, it's that brotherly love sort of almost- Almost, I've heard this even written to the kind of homosexual undertones between Poe and Finn. Mm. You know, it's almost like Poe, sorry, Finn is trying to, to be Poe or he's yeah. trying to, he's really looking up to this guy. He's like, yeah. this guy's a cool fighter, yeah. fighter yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. But there are definitely two elements in that theme. There's yeah. the, like you said, the Finn bit down the dun, bottom, dun, 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 dun. which is sort of much more frantic and, you know, yeah. just trying to escape. And then the other sort of little glimpses of like um, <laughs> heroism, heroism and, and, you know, sort of blasting over the top and then coming back in. And, yeah. you know, I do wonder if that's sort of the Poe element coming yeah. in there. Yeah, that dun, 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 yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. I can mm. I can definitely hear that. Mm. I'm going to do it, boys. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when we write the musical of yeah. The Force Awakens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. um, and to contrast that, the, the Falcon gets uh, kind of a really groovy theme. And uh, me and Dan were talking about this mm. before that we're going to call it the Falcon theme, but it actually first plays when Finn and Rey are escaping all the kind of the TIE fighter attack on Jakku. Mm. So if you guys have different opinions out there, you know, let let let's let's start the discussion rolling. But it's a really interesting mixed meter and uh, theme or, or motive. And when I say mixed meter, is that it goes from like 
uh, it goes between like four four and and three eight or three four and sort of uh, five eight. So it'll it'll be like yep so if we're talking musical figures one two three one two four five six one two three one two four five six and little bits like that so it's not it's not any kind of set tempo and it really gives it a nice kind of franticness I just realized I was singing one, two, three, one, two, four, five, six. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was I was intrigued. I'm not sure how that. I did that. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's, it's a it's a kind of an interesting way to count that. But, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. Yeah, I never liked three. So it should be one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five. One, two, yeah. three, one, yeah, two, yeah. three, four, five. So we went when when Nick yeah. learned to do dance to the waltz, he was actually going one, two, four, one, two, three. <laughs> Uh, you know what? I reckon that's why none of these damn orchestras follow me. Because I'm going one, two, four, five, six, one, two, four, five, six. They're all like shaking their heads at the break going, where's the goddamn three? Anyway, so look, yeah, it's a really nice little motif. If you if you break down those, you know, that bar of uh, three, three, four, yep. uh, three beats in the bar, and then the bar of five shorter beats, I guess, yep. in, the, in the bar, you can actually, once again, if you don't know about music, um, in a bar of three, four, you can break it down into six Mm. Of these smaller parts. And then if you talk about it as being six eights, you know, six yep. quavers, followed by five, they're actually dropping. All that's happening is that they're dropping it's dropping one. a quaver at the end. So, it's not, it's come so close to being symmetrical and mm. it just misses that thing. And once again, with the Falcon, it's a little broken. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, they refer to it as the junk. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's this, this amazing vehicle that, you know, it's just a little, it's a bit, bit broken. Yeah. And this theme makes it feel like it is frenetic. It's fast. It's a fast ship. We already know that. It can travel parsecs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 12 we're, we're, not 14 it's like, yeah, yeah, it's like it's stumbling like the music is stumbling every yeah. kind of couple of bars just yeah. like you know yeah. they're trying to get to hyperspace and yep. Chewie's at the back fixing something stumbling around yeah yeah <laughs> it's, it, and to me it's also the engine it's the engine spluttering yeah. it's not quite kicking into full gear mm. even the way they sort of take off off Jakku yeah. you know they I mean it's partly the pilot as well but you know <laughs> it's grinding in the in the mm. sand as it's mm. sort of trying to take off and uh, you know this theme just is that you know just slightly off kilter mm. but at the same time still feels fast I think that's important yeah. it's not like a wonky you know old uh, sloppy jalopy you know <laughs> sort of <laughs> yeah it's a hot rod yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> um, there's a there's a great bit where Williams harkens back to his news days there's like there's like three seconds of it sounds like I've breaking news it's well, like yeah. alright everyone stop the film breaking yeah. news you know yeah Trump, Trumpers, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. Have a listen. It goes like from this little Falcon rhythmic motive into a bit of the Rebel fanfare. And I think this is the first time we hear the Rebel fanfare. Yeah, that's when we right. Sort of mm. First hear it. And then this sort of, yeah, um, you'll hear it. It's like high rhythmic xylophone. Dig -a -dig -a -dig. It just sounds like breaking news music. <laughs> Here we go, ready? Tonight on NBC. Yeah. 
<laughs> Two criminals escaped with a Millennium Falcon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's funny, isn't it? <laughs> the criminal known as Ray. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, talking about this music kind of feeling broken, later on when they're escaping, who's the, who's the Scotsman dude? What's his name? Yeah. Well, we, we mentioned it right at the top. I can't remember his name. Uh, Han Solo. He refers to Kanji. Kanji. The Kanja Club. Kanja yeah, Club. they're from Kanja Club. Is that like some kind of membership um, thing? Or? Yeah, well, they're, they're um, I've, I've, I even read into this a little bit. Uh, Kanja Club, I think, were a group of not bounty hunters, maybe bounty hunters, but a group that used to be related to Jabba the Hutt. And okay. they were hence being after Solo. <laughs> yeah, well, they were also sort of treated really poorly, and they ended up creating their own faction called the Kanja Club. Anyway, they—I can't remember that guy's name. Does he ever say it? He's the only Scottish guy in the entire galaxy. Uh, <laughs> I, I reckon when he says Han Solo, Solo says something back to him like blah blah. Yeah, but Hi. um, I, anyway. I, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. Anyway, you know, I'm gonna call him the uh, the Scotsman. Yeah, we get a much slower performance of this Falcon music. Um, it's almost like it's really, it's it's getting a bit more broken you know, <laughs> as as the the insurmountables mount up. Mm. Just to jump in there is the, um, the Guavian Death Gang is the name of his group. Oh. And, and who is he? Mr. Guavia? Sure. Uh, no, Balatik. 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 Oh, right. Because then there's the Balatik. something leash. Some t- Tazulish. Uh, t- Tazulish, yeah. yeah who's right. from Kanji Club. Well, the Kanji, yeah, the Kanji Club people are all the cast of um, The Raid. Yeah, the, they the are. Indonesian yeah, in reality. Action yes. film. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Which is such a pity, really, because they are- Incredible action! What, oh, you mean fight. his henchmen? Yeah, yeah, oh. no, no, all of Country Club. Okay, they they are the most talented martial artists you've ever seen, mm. and all they do in this movie it's is run run yeah. away. And it's because oh, well, JJ yeah. just yeah has a relationship with him. It's like, do you want to come onto my movie? Yeah. I mean, J, uh, JJ in this film, just to get off track for one moment, mm. he really did treat this as a. And I, once again, I don't. Th- I think this is partly because he just was excited. And wanted to call up all his friends and, you know, come down and play with my toys. Mm. But I think it's also was telling that narrative yeah. of this is this is for fans. This is for friends. This is for, you know. And so, he's calling up all his mates. I mean, how many people were were um, in Stormtrooper outfits and got, mm. a, got a line? Yeah, there's, you know? there's uh, the Stormtrooper. What is it? J- JB007 that, um, yeah, that the Ray Craig. does the- Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that is that is Daniel Craig. He's yeah, the only yeah. one that I reckon you can notice because he speaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. But you know, and then you hear all of the you know Kevin Smith, all these um, people who were invited down to set and mm. just hang out in the sets, and and then of course went to social media. All of this I don't think is by accident. <laughs> um, went to social media talking about how they you know they cried as they walked down the yeah. ramp of the Millennium yeah, yeah, Falcon, yeah. and you know. But uh, this is I think his his vibe is he's inviting friends around you know, yep. and yeah, fine, they're not going to do an action sequence, but it's like yeah, come. Yeah. Yeah. In my film, you know, celebrate this this great thing. And I mean, while we're on that topic, and uh, to bring it back to the topic of the podcast, I mean, <laughs> I think that it's really telling uh, that for this film, for JJ Abrams, but also for all the pre-release interviews that Ryan Johnson has done about the Last Jedi, 
both of them have been asked. I've seen many times now, both of them been asked, sort of what was the freak out moment where you realized, oh my God, I'm doing a Star Wars film, what the hell? And both of them have basically gone, when I sat down with John Williams to show him a Star Wars film that he hadn't seen that I had made that he was about to write music for. Both oh, of them of have sort of gone, that's absurd. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, uh, to indulge me just five seconds more, Ryan Johnson told this great anecdote where when he was screening the film for John Williams, they're sitting together in, in the in the theatre. And, um, <laughs> and just before, you know, the t- the... the the, the long time ago in a galaxy far, far away comes up on screen and he turns to John Williams and he goes, this next track's temp. Like, we'll, we'll replace it with something completely different. And then the, <laughs> the main fanfare comes on. And, and apparently, it, he, the way he tells it, John Williams' face was just bewildered. Like, he didn't get the joke, but now the music is so loud and Ryan Johnson's like, now I can't explain it was a joke. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I've done a terrible thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that it really does re-emphasize that mm. it's not Mark Hamill, it's not yep. uh, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, that is the bloodline of Star Wars. Yep. It's John Williams. Yep. He has been in every film. Yep. And- Well, not Rogue One. Not Rogue One, true. Of the, of the Skywalker saga. He is the- He has been in every single one. Mm. And therefore, I think it's the- Would be the same for me. Like, yep. it's the- He- I don't want to say he is Star Wars, but, mm. you know, if there was the person who embodied all of Star Wars, it would be John Williams, yep. more so than those other characters. I agree. You know, I, I teared up in the cinema when, you know, when those themes came in, yes. not when I saw Harrison Ford, mm. if no, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it is mm. yeah. It's mm. the music that, that provides its soul. Yeah. To me, it's like, you know, think of the, the James Bond franchise and there was that offshoot, never, uh, never Say Never Again. Mm. Mm. Great film, but like didn't have the Bond music. It mm. didn't feel like Bond. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. totally. Just missing that little, you know, ingredient. Mm. Well, guys, I think that brings us to the end of part one. Part one. Pretty excited. Part two. Yeah. We're going to get our fill later. We will. Plenty more to discuss. Indeed. Part one of our analysis of Star Wars The Force Awakens. We really hope that you enjoyed yourself on this one. And if you did, as always, we really encourage you to press subscribe, to give us a rating, write us a review. Got some pretty happy reviews. Dan, I noticed on our reviews here that someone gave us one star. Really? Interesting, isn't it? One star, no comment. I know. Everything else, five stars, though. Yeah, no, no. no. I I feel it's that one star that makes the five stars legit. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. true. (laughs) True. Maybe it was a mistake. Maybe they pressed the wrong button. And, of course, if you have any questions about the score, you want to talk to us, you want to sort of, uh, you know, nerd out with us, we'd love to hear from you. Um, Hit us up on Facebook, Art of the Score. Also on Twitter, at Art of the Score. Instagram as well, Art of the Score. All Art of the Score. We managed to pick up the, uh, the, you know, the... The mm. website, I guess. We're also on the, the main website, www.artofthescore.com.au. There is a email address. You can do it old school and write to us, and we're more than happy to get back to you. We love hearing from you. But until next time, I'm Andrew Pogson. That's Dan Golding. Great to be here. And he is Nicholas Buck. <laughs> and this was Art of the Score. <laughs> <laughs>